Welcome to the online ministry of Pacific Beach United Methodist Church, located in beautiful San Diego, California. Pacific Beach UMC is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and welcomes persons of all ages and backgrounds for worship, study, and service opportunities. More information can be found on our website at pbumc.org. May you be enriched by the hearing of these words, and may you receive and enjoy God's blessing. Today's scripture is from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's the tale of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass them here to you cannot do so, And no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rose from the dead. Amen. Thank you, Craig. And thank you, Laura and Aaron. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. In looking back through my file of notes on this text, I was reminded of something that happened in another decade when I was preparing a sermon on this scripture passage. I lived at that time in a condo in Oceanside, and my unit was the one closest to the street. So the sidewalk that encircled the community was just a few feet beyond my exterior wall. It was a gated community, and loads of kids lived there, so there was always a good amount of commotion going on outside. Now, I like to hear the sounds of life around me. Neighbor noise doesn't usually bother me at all. I like knowing other people are out there. And I especially like the sound of kids playing and laughing and having fun. But I also had a big, anxious dog named Luke 
at that time. And every time kids zoomed around and around past my windows, so too did Luke zoom around and around my very little condo. Not all that great for sermon writing, I will tell you. So while writing, I generally put my head down and just tried to ignore any chaos raging outside or inside my house. But during that week, as I prepared a sermon on this passage, I heard a child crying outside. And at first, I didn't do anything. Because honestly, there was often a child crying outside with a hurt knee or a hurt elbow or hurt feelings. It wasn't an unusual situation. I heard the voices of other children, so I figured that a brother or a sister or a friend would tend to the one in need. So I, I went back to work, and I realized a few minutes later that I, that I still heard that child crying, but no other voices. So I put my stuff down. I went outside, and I found, I don't know, maybe a three- or four-year-old little boy sitting beside his big wheel, which had toppled over, head down, hands in his lap, just oh, crying. We exchanged names, and I asked him if he was all right. He showed me a big, sharp metal thing that he found and was trying to toss into the dumpster by standing on his big wheel. Well, I threw it away, and he recovered very quickly, turned down my offer to carry his bike home, and, and off he went. It wasn't a big deal, but my hesitancy to go and help, even when I heard a child crying, stuck with me that week, and I still remember it to this day. Our scripture reading, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, reminds us of how easy it is to ignore a neighbor in need. The rich man was very rich. He wore fine purple linen and feasted sumptuously every day. He was a man who placed his hope and trust in the riches of this world, and he enjoyed those riches without much thought of anything or anyone else for a good long time. Lazarus, on the other hand, was poor. He was so poor that he lay at the gate of the rich man every day for one of any place of his own to stay. He was starving to death, and he longed to have just the scraps from the rich man's table. He never got them. His body was covered in sores, and the dogs, not thought of highly in that culture, would come and lick his wounds. Lazarus, whose name means God helps, languished outside the rich man's gate with no one to help at all. Well, Lazarus and the rich man both died, and Lazarus went to rest in the bosom of Abraham, the place of bliss, while the rich man found himself in Hades. From his place of torment, the rich man could see Abraham and Lazarus, and he cried out, apparently still feeling entitled, asking if Lazarus could come serve him by dipping the tip of his finger in the water to cool his parched tongue. Abraham reminded him that he received his good things 
in his lifetime, and now Lazarus was receiving his. Besides all this, Abraham said, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because I've always found this chasm to be curious. How could they be close enough to see one another and converse, but be unable to cross over? What kind of chasm is this? Who put it there? And the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me that this was no divinely inspired chasm, There's no claim in scripture that this is God's way or responsibility or doing. Abraham simply said, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed. And the person who fixed it was the rich man himself. Because you remember, it was a chasm that the rich man began establishing a long time before Even though the rich man and Lazarus lived in close proximity, the rich man made sure that they stayed apart. It was the rich man's choice to live inside the gate, physically separated from Lazarus. It was the rich man's choice to be separated emotionally and spiritually from Lazarus, choosing not to see or engage Lazarus each and every day when he walked past him, perhaps even over him, on his way in and out of his house. The depth and breadth of that chasm formed not in an instant, but over a long time in the rich man's life. During last week's sermon, I asked you to make a mental note of one of the troubling sayings from that reading. It said, Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Well, in many ways, that verse looks forward to this very account, which almost immediately follows it. The rich man did not use his worldly wealth to befriend Lazarus or anyone else and found himself separated by a chasm of his own making, unwelcomed into the eternal home. Now, it's important to note that the rich man didn't end up in Hades because he was rich. The rich man ended up in Hades because he was indifferent. He was unneighborly. He was so enamored with and attached to the riches of his life that he failed to see those around him who were in such desperate need. Mired down by his own privilege, he was blind to the suffering of Lazarus and certainly many others. And this parable challenges us to examine our lives through that lens. We are invited, hard though it may be, to consider our own capacity for unneighborliness, our own tendency to turn a blind eye, to consider the chasms of our own making. 
Because even though we don't want to be that person, sometimes I imagine all of us inevitably are how easy it is to block out the child crying on the street, how easy it is to avoid eye contact with the person experiencing homelessness as we walk around them on the sidewalk, how easy it is to dismiss the neighbor who seems to have more and more trouble with the daily tasks of life, the one who clearly needs help, how easy it is sometimes to overlook, to ignore, to pass by. I don't know if the rich man ever truly understood all this. Regardless, he seemed to accept his fate and then made another request. He said, well, then, Father, I beg you to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But again, Abraham denied his request. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. But they won't, the rich man said. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will turn their lives around. But again, Abraham said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So in addition to reminding us of how easy it is to overlook a neighbor in need, this two-pronged parable also reminds us of how we might overlook the source of guidance and truth in our lives. Scripture, the Word of God, which tells us in no uncertain terms about poverty and wealth. The rich man knew the scripture. He considered himself a child of Abraham. He knew that in the law in Deuteronomy, it said, if there is among you anyone in need, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. He knew the words, but they didn't inform or influence the way he lived his life. And that made all the difference in the world. And again, as modern readers of these ancient words, we are invited to consider how the rich man's problem might, in some ways, also be our own. I want you to know up front that I got permission from my sister Jenny to tell you this story. A few years back, we were doing the thing that my mother had been asking us to do for decades, sort through all of our childhood stuff, tucked away in drawers and closets and abandoned in their house. I was with my sister Jenny in the room we once shared, and she pulled out surprise after surprise from this old trunk in the closet. Stuffed animals, ceramic figures, her favorite old nightgowns, and finally a small red box. She opened the box and there she found in pristine shape the promotion Bible she received when she was entering into the fourth grade. 
And right on top of the unblemished Bible, there was a little yellow slip of paper. She unfolded it, and in her child's handwriting, it said, I love you, Lord. Who knows where it was from? Probably a Sunday school assignment, or perhaps just a spontaneous prayer. But it had been neatly folded and tucked away in the Bible, in the box, in the trunk, in the closet, in my parents' house for a good, oh, 20 or 30 years. I love you, Lord. Back in the box you go. (laughs) Bye-bye. I will tell you that Jenny is a very fine person of faith, and she has read other Bibles over, over the years. But I can't resist telling that story, one, just because it's fun to tell a story about your sister, and two, because it is kind of indicative of what we, in a more general sense, sometimes do with the Word of God. The Bible is the most popular book in the world. It's still the number one bestseller. A huge number of people have a copy. But sitting on the shelf or under a coffee table or in a closet, it doesn't mean a whole lot of anything. It doesn't do anything. It's got to be in our hands and in our hearts and in our souls and then reflected in our lives in order to make a difference, in order to be alive. The rich man knew what Scripture said about poverty and wealth. We know what it says. It's not complicated. And the questions Jesus presses us to ask ourselves are, will we have eyes to see the one in need? Will we have ears to hear God's word of truth? Will we listen? Will we respond? These questions continue to be relevant and critical. The rich man feasts in his house, and Lazarus is outside the gate. We live in a world where some live in luxury, while many live in abject poverty. We see that in living color immediately around us, and through images transmitted in real time across the globe. We know unequivocally that this is not the kingdom way. And the good news, the good news, is that we are not Lazarus or the rich man. We are the brothers. This isn't a parable that points us to anything about eternal life or about heaven or hell. It's not about that at all. This is a parable about who we are called to be and how we are called to be in the here and now. And we are the brothers. We are the siblings. Not only do we, like them, have scripture to guide us, but we also have one who did come back from the dead, who encourages us time and time again to listen, to listen to him, to listen to the words of Scripture, to listen to the voice of God in our lives, to listen and live not a certain lifestyle, but a life that reflects 
the compassion and generosity and will of God. Will we see the ones in need? Will we cross the chasm now, reaching out to one another, reaching out to God, reaching out to grab hold to the life that really truly is life? May God give us the wisdom, the capacity, and the courage to make it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of this new season and for so much beauty that surrounds and sustains us. We give thanks for your created world, for family and friends who cast light, love, and laughter into our lives, who walk alongside us in all the seasons of our lives and who allow us to walk alongside them. We thank you for the invitation to join in your divine love song as you sing kindness, compassion, peace, and justice into our world and through and around each one of us. We lift up prayers for those who are on our hearts and minds this morning. We pray that each one be held in your care, receiving what they need in body, heart, or spirit. We pray for courage this morning, O God, courage that enables our eyes to see and our hearts to perceive the suffering of those around us, even when that suffering feels overwhelming. We pray for the strength to push beyond and through our feelings of helplessness in order to find a way, through a word or gesture, to offer some measure of presence or solace to one in need. Help us to see the chasms that separate us from you, from one another, from right relationship with anything or anyone in your created order. Guide us in paths of mercy and righteousness that we may cross the gulfs that divide us. When we struggle or drift or wander or wander, draw us back to your word as it reminds us of all we need to hold fast to life in you. Help us to hear again and again its reminders that we are all beloved, created in your image, designed to be of good consequence in this world. Help us to know for certain that its good news of grace and forgiveness and life abundant are for us and for all. Help us to embrace fully with who we are and what we have the life-giving invitation to extend that life-changing grace to others. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen.